Hello, this is Minute 97 of As If, the final minute of the podcast where we talk about Clueless minute by minute. I am Darren, your host, and with me today I have Daniel Ifland. Hello, Daniel. Hello, very happy to be here. Love Clueless and getting in at the end. (laughs) Well, here's the thing. Um, Everyone else who's been brought back for these minutes has been hosts, um, and obviously everyone else has been doing five episodes as a guest, but uh, you were unable to record on the five episodes you originally scheduled on. So I said, I'll bring you back for one of the credits minutes. Mm. The credits are scrolling and it starts with the, the Mentos credit. Is the is kind of like at the top of the screen <laughs> if you're watching it. The Ment- Mentos jingle, Fresh Goes Better, is, is how it's credited. Uh, in line with the Miss Brown to You credit. And then we we go all the way through to the um, AFL, CIO, CLC you know, um, the persons and events in this motion picture are fictitious. Um, and then uh, we get the Paramount logo for like 10 seconds. 10 seconds on the copy I've got, but I, 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 I'm i assuming DVDs around the world, it varies. Uh, it was a lot of Paramount on there. I, I guess they were patting themselves, maybe they were patting themselves on the back, giving it an extra few seconds because we've made a good <laughs> one here, everyone. Was it a good year for Paramount? I wouldn't know. It's not my area of expertise. It is yours? Uh, well, I mean, Clueless was a hit. Um, Let's find out what the top 10 for 95 were and if Paramount had any success in that particular area. Uh, No, they did not. (laughs) Toy Story was number one. Die Hard with a Vengeance. uh, Apollo 13. GoldenEye. Pocahontas. Batman Forever. Seven. uh, Casper. Waterworld and Jumanji. Ooh, good grief. There are some very 1990s movies in that lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, Paramount Pictures had the Brady Bunch movie the same year as Clueless, which has come up a few times in the credits because there are a few people who worked on that movie and the sequel who also worked on Clueless. Uh. Um, so um, they also had Tommy Boy, if you're a fan of, um, if you're a fan of Chris Farley and David Spade. Written I mean, by Bonnie and Terry Turner, who were writers on SNL, and they also wrote Wayne's World 1 and 2, which I know, again, a few people who worked on the Clueless crew have also worked on that film. It's funny, that does have a... Yeah, and it does have the same... Um, Brady Bunch, Clueless, and Wayne's World all... You know, they're very sort of lightly shot, very yeah. uh, sort of well-paced movies. They do have something about them that you would you would group together in your head. Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of like the kind of blockbusters, you had Braveheart. Yeah, you know, which was you know quite successful, though obviously not like a, a top ten movie. You had Congo. Uh, if you're a fan of um, <laughs> uh, films based on. Um, who wrote the novel? Was that the guy who did uh, Jurassic Park? It's Crichton, uh, isn't it? A so, Crichton novel, yeah. Yes, yeah. Because after after Jurassic Park hit, like literally every single thing he wrote got optioned. And I think within a three year period, because that would have been Disclosure in that era as well, maybe ninety seven. Yeah, even earlier. Yeah, I think Disclosure. Yeah, so yeah, there was, there was this. Yeah, there was this big run. Um, there was a there's a film called uh, The Indian in the Cupboard. If you've ever heard of that, I have. Yeah, that's ba- is that based on a book as well? 
Yes, hmm. yeah. Directed by Frank Oz, screenplay by Melissa Matheson, who did um, E.T. Um, ah, yes. I think, oh, Paramount was, I think Paramount's success in the summer probably was Clueless. Yeah, I'm looking here at the same thing, and because they've got the, the triple straight after Clueless finishes, they've got Virtuosity, Jade, and Vampire in Brooklyn, all of which were fairly terrible for them. In fact, might have yeah. sunk their entire year because Vampire in Brooklyn was a big loss, and so was Jade. Oh, it's a Jade struggle. Was, like such a huge. Well, the the funny thing is as well is um, Virtuosity. Um, Heather, who had the beret in Clueless, yes. she she had like a very minor part in Virtuosity, like literally, oh, like just like a, a background extra, basically hanging around the lot at the same time. Yeah, I guess that probably that probably is what it is. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's, from what I can tell for the rest of the year, Paramount didn't really have much of a. Um, no, not even a year after Clueless. Clueless seems like they're they're kind they're of peak one. for mm. that year. I mean, they had they had Home for the Holidays, which that's was, a lovely movie. You know, directed by Jodie Foster. Mm. Um, and her first her directorial debut, Little Man Tate, was produced by the same producer who did Clueless, ah. um, Scott Rudin. So obviously, ah, Scott Rudin. Yeah, he's a quite a large producer. He's a big producer, isn't he? Yeah, he must have been like on the mm. Paramount lot. Mm. Um, and then, of course, there's the John Badham classic, Nick of Time. The, <sighs> the, the That's real the real-time time Johnny, Johnny Depp. Depp. Mm. Yeah, the first time that he worked with Christopher Walken, uh, Johnny Depp. Yeah. yeah, and then by the time you get to the end of the year, basically Toy Story was the was kind of like the big success. And you had Sabrina, which was the, the remake with uh, Harrison Ford and Julia Ormond. Yeah, um, uh, a recent watch of mine, actually, it... Moves like molasses. That movie, um, Sabrina, the Sydney Pollock. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. It's not cast awfully, and and Pollock is a fun guy often, but it just does not move that movie at all. Um, no, very tough. that was kind of like their big prestige film for the end mm. of the year. That was, and um, I just remember seeing around the time. I remember seeing like trailers and stuff for it, and being like, I even remember seeing that poster. Which yeah. is one of those classic posters where you only get to see half the woman's face because mm. it's like Julia Ormond's hat's kind of like <laughs> pointing down, and you're like, "What is this film meant to be? Like, what's going on with this? Like Harrison Ford wearing glasses and a tux? Like, what am I? Am I meant to care? Like, what's going on? I just it sort of it sort of aged him quickly too, considering he'd been sort of playing probably under his age all the way up until then, and then he comes yeah. His, like Clear and Present Danger was only the year before where he's still playing sort of the action hero and then boom a year later yeah. he's into his uh, serious sort of early 50s roles yeah and um, yeah because I think that is kind of like the first time that he sort of showed his age mm. as a character definitely because he's playing like uh, uh, I mean Greg Kinnear is like his rival and mm. he's definitely kind of like like super young yeah it's uh, a noticeable younger brother role for, for Kinnear yeah Here's the crazy thing. Um, in that film, um, Harrison Ford was 53. Hmm. Julia Ormond, who was his love interest, is only now 51. So, <laughs> so if they were to remake and gender swap Sabrina, Julia Ormond would still be at this particular point younger than Harrison Ford was uh, in that film. In 1995. Our first credit that we get to see is for the Mentos jingle. Now, I'm going to, I think at the time that this film came out, I don't remember Mentos being a thing in this country, like in the UK. Um, Are they a thing in Australia? No, not at that time. The thing, actually right around this time, I guess the first uh, Foo Fighters album was released, which had the Mentos style commercial for Big Me when they're on the aeroplane. 
So that might yeah. be the first time I was really aware of. They're the not on the aeroplane movies. Are they not on the aeroplane? The aeroplane is the aeroplane is uh, learn to fly with learn um, to fly Jack Black learn to fly. and Kyle Gas. Yeah. That's right. No, yeah, they're big uh, movies. The f- film clip though, it does have the Mentos grin, and he's he's sort of playing the fool yeah. for the first times. So yeah, yeah, they're just like walking around on the streets, aren't they? Yeah, prior to that, sort of wasn't available in Australia as such. I think it is now. Um, yeah, it is. It is now. And probably has been for the last ten years. But yeah, I, until then, I would not have known, and and we had much less uh, access to uh, the minutiae of American culture at that stage. Yeah, I mean, well, I like Ty sings along with the um, with the the advert, doesn't she? So it's kind of like an iconic moment in terms of like that character because she's like super up and happy and. Mm. Um, you know, just kind of like singing this jingle. She's she's the, she's right in the middle of it at that stage, just when she's being that big introduction and having and becoming that big character. She is she's so she's so up. That means that that sadness with the <laughs> second rolling with the homies is it's so heartbreaking because she's been so happy until yeah. then. We also get the credit for Miss Brown to you, uh, which I think is interesting because uh, Julie Brown is in the film playing Miss Kroger. So, you know, I think it's interesting that they, they have oh. Miss Brown as one of the songs, which, of course, is a Billy Holiday song, uh, to which Cher says, I love him, which, you know, uh, I quite... <laughs> it's just such a funny kind of tossed-off moment as she just says that and Christian's just kind of staring at her, kind of huh? like, okay. It's a great pull for the song, too. It's, it fits in right there. It's, the whole soundtrack has a great uh, has a great juxtaposition to it. Um, we get the credit for All Right, written and performed by Supergrass. Gaz I know the in the boys. minutes where this was where this was discussed, um, Supergrass was a slight mystery to the the people who were covering the minutes with plays over the montage of the the photos being taken by the uh, I don't know what it is. It's just like a fountain or something at the school. It's just an area in the school where they're taking the pictures. Yeah. Um, and uh, then Ty gets separated out, and Elton admires the picture, of course, which leads to some misunderstandings later on. It's um, uh, it is it is funny that uh, that that level of Supergrass. I am quite a Supergrass fan. I've seen them yeah. many a time. Once under Supergrass, ah. uh, tea towel for some time. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> hearing that uh, hearing that confusion just uh, it does show that sort of just that that slight sort of divide that sits there. So the lower level the lower level Britpop rung doesn't doesn't translate often. There'll be some users at home or some Anglophiles that get there. But then there's that whole run yeah. of blue tone, supergrass, menswear, never translated over to the states. See, now you the thing is, you mentioned blue tones. I saw them on tour over here. Um, I think it was like after their third album, so I think it was around like 2008 ish. Oh, something like that. Um, but yeah, so supergrass they split up in like 2010. Um, yeah, very late. I, I mean, obviously, I, I everyone had I should Coco. You know, it was the night. It was the nineties. Like yeah, you had everyone. I should Coco, and you had um, what's the story? And um, it was given to Great Escape. <laughs> yeah, and um, and different class. Like these were just all the albums everybody owned. Um, but I, I, I like I should Coco. I even had like I think a poster for I should Coco. Like um, with the, the three, time, like a lot of. Yeah, with the three heads. Yeah, yeah. a lot of the um, a lot of the music magazines at the time would give out like posters. I think I've got like Mm. a poster for this is hardcore. Um, Oh, nice. So, (laughs) uh, yeah. So after Supergrass, we get um, 
We get the credits for Rolling With My Homies, which it says Coolio performs courtesy of Tommy Boy Records. It is a funny it is a funny idea to have that record as the main sort of like party record at the time when sort of West Coast hip hop was at its absolute peak or nearing its peak. Yeah. Or just after its peak where you could have had a lot of different stuff. But I guess Paramount has to own the record for it to be used in the uh, well, at, at least more likely to be used in in a central scene. Um, and we also get parallel to that the credits for the two Mighty Mighty Boss Tones songs. Um which are, of course, uh, Someday, I suppose, um, which was the song that was featured in the trailer. And then you get Where'd You Go, which is the um, the track that plays as Ty is basically isolated <laughs> by <laughs> while Christian and, and Cher are dancing. You get you get two boss tone songs. Sorry. Uh, well, prior prior to the prior to the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones being on this which is quite early in, I think, in that sort of style to be popular within Australia, at least, and possibly Britain, although I'm not sure about America. I only experienced that sort of music through films. You've got, like, the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones in Clueless, mm. um, and then uh, the, the I'm trying to think, Real Big Fish are in Basketball, uh, which was a couple of years after this. But th- Yeah, that sort of music hadn't hadn't sort of penetrated over here and I was right in the middle I was sort of 19 or 20 at this time so it would have been right in my well at least at least around the wheelhouse of where I was even if I didn't enjoy it but I do sort yeah. of remember when the impression that I get came out and became much much bigger and sort of introduced that as a wider sort of bubbling up under um scar revival as well I think like a lot of these like this kind of like third wave scar stuff hmm. uh, like less than jake you know uh, yeah. it was like God, bowling, bowling for soup. Would you say? I don't know. I think bowling for soup are a little bit more, a little later and a little bit more kind of rocky. Yeah, um, touch more, touch more. I think what's funny is like in America, um, you know, certain regions are large enough that they can kind of sustain their own, um, like kind of scene. Like Absolutely. the fact that like you know like los angeles and had this kind of like third wave scar thing going on with like no doubt mm. being like the most famous and all those kind of real big fish all those bands around that area mm. um you know and yet of course nobody seemed to know who supergrass was and that was like a phenomena of Britpop, which was an entire country so um, yeah after rolling with the homies and the boss tones uh of course we get here the squirmal mix uh, by oh, Lush wow. Jackson. I'm a big fan of Lush Jackson. I like the first couple of albums. Uh, that's what plays as the Boss Tones party finishes. Um, and then, of course, we get uh, Away, performed by the Cranberries, which is Elton sings along to that and stares at Cher. Um, <laughs> he really does. A, yeah, really, really selling that. Also, Sprach Zarathustra, known to some as the entrance theme of uh, Ric Flair, gets Ooh. credit... Because of course it plays as the uh, as as the phone is shown like the monolith in two thousand and one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, That's I'm disappointed South, that Cher didn't scream "woo" as as the <laughs> as the phone came into view. That would have been a. But yeah, and then we get "I Believe I'm You" by Gail Orange, and I can't remember what scene that. I think that's the where Cher's getting ready for the date after she gets back up. She's been. Um... Picked up and cleaned up and fixed the, the yeah. scene after that. Yeah, yeah. When yeah, after Christian a, calls, one. yeah, and I, I mean we also get the ghosting you, 
um, performed by Counting Crows, which I think is playing when um, Josh gets called up by Cher. The sad, um, the sad, the sort of sad song that he's enjoying with his lady, <laughs> yeah. And as as Cher gets mad at the the generation of people, uh, <laughs> or the generation of guys who just wake up and pull on their uh, their baggy pants and put their hair into a backwards cap. Uh, all the young dudes plays, but it's the world party version of all the young dudes rather than uh, the, the original, hoople. like Mot the Hoople, yeah, which is hmm. a, a, an odd choice uh, given that essentially the you know the original is already kind of a cover. Cover, yeah, was, Bowie. You know, Bowie kind of gave it to them. Uh, it's also an interesting one himself. as she's complaining. As she's sort of complaining about these people, the song's making them look glorious. Like, that song is such a huge, <laughs> anthemic yeah. thing. I'm like, these guys sound great. <laughs> yeah. They're wandering along to all the young dudes. It makes them seem much more heroic than she's trying to give them credit for. And I think it's funny because, I mean, it's like uh, there are very few choices in this film that are really on the nose. But calling a group of young dudes walking down the street, like having to play to all the young dudes while there's four young dudes, I mean, <laughs> that is kind of. Um, on the nose, but it's interesting because um, World Party um, uh, were formed by the lead singer of the Waterboys. Mm. Um, mm. You know who? Um, well, one of the one of the the singers of the the Waterboys after after he left, um, who did was it Hole of the Moon? Was their big? That was their big hit. And, song. Uh, yeah. Uh, World Party had. I love Ship of Fools. It's a fantastic single with a um, yeah with a sort of junky around verse, but this glorious chorus that hits in. Love that song. Yes, um, which was full. like curiously enough, that song was a like reached number four in Australia and twenty one in New Zealand, uh, but it didn't really chart that much over here. Mm. <laughs> like it wasn't that successful. It's more successful as like an international song. We have the yeah, it's the we call it the cause effect in Australia. The the cause, uh, Jim Core and whoever those other women are. Sorry, I'm just being funny. There, yeah. no one ever knew his name <laughs> ever. Um, the cause were much more successful in Australia before they ever got successful anywhere else. They would come out here and yeah. tour for the first two or three years of their career. Um, Blink One Eighty Two was the same thing. Way more popular in Australia before they got popular in the U- like huge in the US. They were huge here. They tour every year. I think that's the thing as well. Is like World Party. Like they were moderately successful over here. I mean. They also had like um, uh, they did um, a song for the Reality Bites soundtrack, but like there was there was this kind of era where you could you could be a band that wasn't huge, and you could you could be like track nine on a soundtrack, and it would get you a kind of a certain level of fame, but not like a huge level of fame. And I think that's kind of like to do like Reality Bites soundtrack and Clueless soundtrack like within two years. I'm not sure. Yeah, you're right. Not not quite big enough to you think. Uh... We'd get those two plum spots. Uh, yeah, so you know, there you go, world party. But d- again, doing a cover of doing a British band doing a cover of another British band song <laughs> written by a different person who was also British, like <laughs> in the middle of this kind of yeah, it's just so weird. Um, and then we get um, another cover with starting with the word all again, uh, which is all by myself, which was performed by Jewel, which is played over a period of minutes. As as Cher wanders around LA and realizes that oh she loves Josh, credited to Eric Carmen and as I said in the minutes, Sergei Rachmaninoff because Eric Carmen <laughs> stole 
<laughs> a uh, he stole like a, a thing and he thought that Rachmaninoff because he'd been dead for like you know 60 70 years nothing was in copyright and, and that's generally mm. true of most composers like if you wanted to sample some Beethoven you could sample some Beethoven quite easily you'd only have to pay for the performers not for the the music rights the, but mm. Rachmaninoff's family actually managed to maintain his copyrights so even into the, the 1970s um, if anyone used his stuff, they uh, they would sue. Whereas the World Party <laughs> cover was just kind of like, seems like just a cover they did and it was used on the soundtrack, um, All By Myself was produced by David Kittay, who was the, um, the, the composer for the film, um, Clueless. He, you know, I spoke about him the other day, but um, yeah, he's, he's, you know, he's like a, he's like a composer, um, he, he's composed for a lot of different um, films and stuff. He did, he he composed music for Vamps and um, I think Loser as well. Um, and he did stuff for and he composed music for Mismatch, which was the TV show that had uh, Alicia Silverstone on, which I talked about at length on Monday. Oh, did you talk about it at length on Monday? Yeah, a, I did. Fa- a favorite one season wonder of mine actually. With a hell of <laughs> a cast. It? Yeah. 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 I Great spoke cast. about it with Amy, and um, mm. you know she also was a, a fan of it. Uh, yeah, it's a yeah, charisma carpenter and Christ knows who else. There's just a ton of people on that. Um, on Nathan that Fillion's yeah, on that too, isn't it? Yes, just after Firefly was uh, cancelled. Yeah, Lake Bell in her first sort of major TV. Oh. Crea- created by Darren Starr, creator mm. of Beverly Hills 90210 and Melrose Place, uh, both of. I mean, you know, two of the actors from Beverly Hills Naruto One have been mentioned in this film. Sherry is saving herself for Luke Perry, and uh, mm. Christian looks a little bit like Jason like Priestley. Jason. He does very much, very much. Yeah. So it's also um, an interesting time to use Jewel because I think she was discovered. Was she? I want to say that she was in a coffee shop or something, and she was discovered. Yes. Yeah, and then discovered in she a coffee got shop. bought out, and '95 would have been right when she first released that album. So they were probably trying to get yeah. break her wide at that point. So sort of a soundtrack would be right on the money for what they were after. And Clueless is a perfect sort of entry point for that demographic too. It says that Jewel performs courtesy of Atlantic Recording Corporation. <laughs> so she was signed to a Warner Brothers label, and yet she was allowed to kind of go into the studio with David Kattay and and do this cover i may have cracked this uh the internet may have helped me crack this her manager was a previously a film executive at paranormal hey there you go so that's probably where uh, that's probably where the connection comes from now ain't nothing wrong performed by spin i don't know where that comes but it stood out because i was like who is spin why are they performing this song um turns out spin is a deirdre spin roper um I don't know um, who who that could be, but yeah. So I don't know where that song comes. There are a couple of songs in these credits where I'm like, I'm not quite sure what scene they come from. Uh, but at the same time, there are a few there are a few scenes where the music is too quiet for you to really tell uh, what it is. Um, yeah, it makes no impression either way. Yeah, but the fact that it's placed next to Mullethead suggests that maybe it might have been around the skating scene. Yeah, Mullethead's right on so. there, isn't it? And then we get, of course, the credits for the the songs that have played for the credits, which is Tenderness uh, by General Public, 
and Need You Around by The Smoking Popes, um, which I discussed in yesterday's no, on, in Wednesday's minute because that's when they would have started. Oh. Yeah. Um, and then the final credit, which is puzzling in every way, is um, the final music credit, should I say, is just Gigi by Alan J. Lerner and Frederick Lowe. Um, and the musical Gigi was... Um, the, the book and lyrics were by Alan J. Lerner and the music was by Frederick Lowe. <laughs> so I don't know why that's credited, though... I don't know. It's just it's just weird. It's the final credit, and there it is. And I'm just like, what is? Huh? Where was Gigi? If there was any super um, fans out there of Gigi that can identify, we we thought possibly there's a a swell right before the kiss that, but it didn't seem long enough to require a credit or or even have enough sort of melody to to identify. So yeah, if anyone knows why Gigi's credited there, yeah, that was kind of puzzling to me. Um, I've never seen the movie. Then, I've never seen Gigi. You've never seen Gigi. I'm sure you've no, seen no, clips of Thank Heavens for Little Girls. Which oh, I've seen. I've seen. I know. Sorry, I don't know what it is, but I haven't seen the whole. I haven't seen the whole thing. And then we get we get into the thanks, uh, which I always find quite interesting because, um, you know, sometimes directors thank people like very special. Sometimes they have to thank people who let them do something. Um, you know, sometimes they'll they'll thank friends and family. But here we get uh, like a list of um, eight names, I think it is something like that. Before mm. we get thanks for t- we get thanks to Occidental College, which is where most of the outdoor stuff was shot. Um, yeah. A lot of it was I, also I shot at Beverly Hills High School. Yeah, um, I looked Occidental College up. It's a beautiful campus, like all of these are. When these the teen movies often have this, these gorgeous campuses that you'd never look anything like any high school I went to or probably <laughs> for that matter any of us went to but uh, it, uh, I mean this is a college but oh, what a beautiful place to go to school Occidental is the alma mater of uh, Terry Gilliam he he went there ah. for English and then he transferred to I think came no he transferred to Oxford for like a year and that's where he met Terry Jones and Michael Palin and that's how he got involved with uh, Monty Python. Yeah. Um, Occidental College. That's how I always remember it because, yeah. <laughs> you know, because it's Terry Gilliam and I was a big um, Monty Python fan. It's an interesting so, name, Occidental College. I'm not sure. Where yeah, almost like accidental, but accidentally yeah. spelled incorrect. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure where it derives from. I thought it um, might have been like a optometrist college or something, but. <laughs> Not quite. Yeah, it's a bit nice for that. Um, but the people that, that the producers wish to thank—not the director. Mm-hmm. This is the producers. Uh, they wish to thank Judy McGrath, who um, at this particular time was an exec for well within Paramount. She ended up as the CEO of MTV in two thousand four. Um, Ooh, that's an interesting time. So yeah. she oversaw the MTV uh, change, basically. Yeah, from, I mean, well, I'm, she was also in charge of like VH1, Comedy Central, Nickelodeon, TV Land. Like, there's a lot yeah. of really big. Yeah, Under that she umbrella. now works. She now works for Amazon. Uh, she's oh. on the board of directors for Amazon. So, uh, yeah, Congrats, so Judy. you know, so she gets thanks first. I'm guessing. She's one of the people who greenlit the film. Mm. And then we get thanks to uh, Doug Herzog, who um, 
I mean, I know the name because he was president of Comedy Central from like 95 to 98. So there are a few shows that he gave the green light to, including the South Park, <laughs> The Daily Show, Colbert Report. Like, that's, oh. he's like he's like a really big name in terms of like comedy stuff. Um, and he was actually from Boston. Uh, or he went to college in Boston. He's from New Jersey, but went to college in Boston. So maybe he was the connect to the uh, Bostons. Um, yeah, well, it sets yeah. a tone for a whole decade or more, doesn't it? Greenlighting those shows at Comedy Central at that time. And uh, he he went to Fox for a couple of years after being the president of Comedy Central, um, and he greenlit uh, Malcolm in the Middle. I think mm. is like one of his shows. He was also, you know, he was part of MTV and he was responsible for setting up the, uh, setting up Real World and Beavis and Butthead, MTV Movie Awards, MTV Video Music Awards. Like he was, he was, you know, early in, in MTV, he was, you know, imp- quite important in terms of setting up a lot of the stuff that still to this day goes. Um, of course, worth noting that uh, Alicia Silverstone won a number of MTV Movie Awards, um, including uh, Best Best Villain the year before for um, The Crush, and she won Most Desirable Female for um, for Clueless. Uh, and she was she was the last ever Most Desirable Female of the MTV Movie Awards because they discontinued the category the year after, so forever what a for shock. the last. For the last 20 years, she has been the most desirable female, and there is literally no one who can take that award away from her. Um, she will always uh, be that. Um, what an honour. What an honour. <laughs> yeah. And then we get Wendy Tauber, hmm. um, who I think is just uh, like another Paramount executive. I wasn't really able to find much about her, so... No, I couldn't see anything on, on Wendy. And one of the like big names that gets thanked here is... Craig Perry, um, if if this is of course the same Craig Perry that I think it is, um, who is a producer who has a production company which is uh, Zed Perry, uh, with Warren Zed or Zidi, I don't know how you pronounce it. He was ba- basically they were responsible for um, greenlighting American Pie and Final Destination, um, and then all the sequels <laughs> follow for American Pie Jeez. and Final Destination. So between that, just between those two, that is uh, like 11 films or something. Um, yeah. They've done, they've done yeah. other stuff, you know, uh, 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 individually. Uh, Craig Perry ha- has and Warren Zeed. Um, but yeah, so they're kind of really big producers uh, now. But during the time of... Um, clueless i'm guessing they were just i guess he was just like a, a paramount executive yeah it's interesting because it, you like his his real career sort of starts after that doesn't it well yeah. sort of right after that he, he gets an associate producer gig and then starts um what three three or four years later american pies uh, comes out and then um gary gersh gets the next credit uh from what i can tell um he's uh an agent um oh. So he gets thanks in he gets thanks in the credits for the Basketball Diaries, Goodwill Hunting, and Scream Two, <laughs> and and Clueless, and that's it. That's literally um, all his credits. 
Um, he appeared on um, Peter Gabriel's um, So Peter Gabriel. So like, I don't know. Maybe mm-hmm. he's, he's he's just an agent. So he gets thanks from the producers. I'm going to guess that he probably represented a number of the younger actors because some of them also appear in other films together. Um, some not all like Paramount Productions. Um, but yeah, so I think I think he like he just probably represented the bulk of the cast, and mm. so um, that was where he got his. Uh, that's why he gets his thanks. Um, and then we get um, Tim Devine gets some thanks, um, and he what he was a uh, like curiously enough he was like um, an A and R at um, Warner's. Um, ah, you know at, at Warner Brothers uh, Records at the time. Yeah, so I'm guessing he's getting the thanks because, uh, I mean, the soundtrack for Clueless came out on Capital, which was owned by Warner's, um, mm. I think at the time. God knows who owns it now. And just after Clueless came out, he moved to be Senior Vice President of A&R for Columbia. And he, you know, he basically, he, he, he signed uh, Aerosmith and Offspring and Leonard Cohen and Rick Ocasek. Uh, Soul Asylum, like all to, um, he got them all to like kind of move to Columbia, um, and then later mm-hmm. on, um, Switchfoot and Sinead O'Connor and <laughs> the Afghan Wigs, uh, and he was the one who signed Train. Um, so if you hate Train, if you hate Train, blame Tim Devine. <laughs> uh, the next credit is probably going to be one of the more interesting, and that is Todd Ruff. Um, and uh, he gets thanks here, but his career is really varied because he designed the titles for uh, a TV series called Happily Ever After Fairy Tales for Every Child, and then he did the title design for the HBO series Real Sex. And then he did the graphics for Katie Morgan on Sex Toys, which is a a documentary. And then for a couple of other Katie Morgan um, documentaries, he also did the the graphics. Um, And then for um, the TV movie Cat House Cat Call, he was part of the art department doing graphic design. So I'm not quite sure why he's getting thanks. I mean, it's, it's a great name. Yeah, like Todd Ruff is a is a genuinely great name, but it does seem a little bit out of his. Uh, I don't know if he's just a friend of someone, but yeah, he he got some thanks. Um, and then before mm-hmm. we get to Occidental College um, and the West Side Pavilion, which of course is we get a brief shot of that when they say let's go to like the mall, basically. Um, yeah, we get thanks to Vic- Victor Ronaldo, and if you go on Internet Movie Database or IMDB mm. for short, uh, his sole <laughs> credit is the thanks from Clueless. Oh. That is it. So I don't know who he is. Or Literally all you, I could find out is that he was thanked in Clueless, which I already know. That was my starting point. And, and that, was the that is the point. end point. Yeah, like there is... That's it. He's thanked in Clueless. Um, and then, of course... If I, had to have, if I had to have one credit, being thanked in Clueless is not the worst yeah. credit. You could have. That's a good. That's yeah. a good way to go. Um, we then get additional footage provided by MTV Networks. Uh, you know, Beavis and Butthead, Ren and Stimpy, mm. 
uh, owned by Viacom, which of course owned MTV and Paramount at this particular time, I think. Uh, uh, Buns of Steel 3 was courtesy of Warner Vision, uh, which I think is quite funny that they, they specifically say it's Buns of Steel 3. Buns of 3, yeah. And then we get the, um, the uh, you know, motion picture protected under laws of the United States mm-hmm. and other countries. Um, you know, events in this motion picture are fictitious. Uh, and then we finish with about 10 or 11 seconds, depending on how you count it, of the Paramount logo, which does confirm it is indeed a Viacom company. Um, mm. And that is the end of the film. What a journey. Yeah. I was just going to say, obviously, you weren't on earlier episodes, Daniel, so I was just going to ask, yeah. when did you see Clueless? Oh, um, in the cinema. Uh, I've actually had, definitely saw it at the time um, and many times since. Uh, Lucia Silverstone is almost my exact age uh, okay so we uh, when i would have seen this i would have been an a peer even if i at the time probably would have been you know at university rather than high school but not I mean, she didn't play out that much she would i think she would have only been sort of um uh, 19 during filming i think when it was filming she was 17 playing 15 so yeah so it's yeah. not outrageous by hollywood standards and i think yeah when i would have seen it i would have been in my late teens um yeah, so uh, like an an immediate favorite. I, I I and I actually enjoy a lot of Heckling's movies. Like Loser has Loser is a little bit too possibly low key and and sort of sour for 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 me to enjoy often. But I really loved Vamp. I really loved Vamps. I thought that was a great movie. Okay, for you're probably for one of the only people taking part who has um, <laughs> who has. Uh, seen vamps there have been so many people who've been like oh amy hickling's most recent film with lucy selfstone was vamps i've never seen vamps um no it's and Kristen ritter's in it um yeah and that that that's a lot of sort of charisma on screen alicia silverstone and uh both sort of personality wise and just two people to look at they both have sort of extraordinary faces and and charisma visually so it's it's a it's a real treat um yeah, she, it's right in her wheelhouse, right in Amy Heckling's wheelhouse. I sort of wish she made more more movies, a lot more movies. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, Vamps is not a clever sequel to the film Vamp, like <laughs> a kind of alien aliens type thing. Um, <laughs> and it's not a documentary about the British band The Vamps um, no, either. That would have even been lower. Uh, <laughs> A lower output for them. They wouldn't have made much money on that. But it does have... Uh, I'm always happy to see Todd Barry in a movie and Sigourney Weaver. So it, it's sort of secondary cast is also uh, a whole lot of fun. And also um, Wallace Shawn, of course, returning to the... Uh, yeah. And for fans of The Guest, um, Dan Stevens. Yeah, very early. Yeah. Um, very early. Or, very, or at least very early in that sort of style career. And, and, and Justin Kirk's in a Taylor Negron, the late... Taylor Negron now isn't it he yeah. passed away recently um yeah it, it's it's a it's a, it's a good it's a really good movie um and it, it's funny that you say how people haven't seen it because it I would have always assumed that eventually it would pick up steam in nowadays when sort of no not many movies are forgotten I thought it would have sort of picked up enough steam to get that uh sort of get her another movie or at least get something going um within its cult not that yeah. it's a cult movie but I, you, you think it would have had just enough to to get it going so well, its box office was um, three thousand three hundred and sixty-one dollars. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, 
which I think Jeez. is somewhere around what the per screen average for Clueless was in its first weekend. So yeah. Clueless would have made like on one screen what this did in its entire run. But saying that, it was only ever on a limited theatrical release in America, like it did before it went onto Blu-ray and stuff. So like it didn't get like a wide release. It's interesting. It's, it is funny that you said no one's seen it because, like I said, nothing gets by people now. But this one sort of skipped by, and it's only it's only five years old now, or four years old now. Yeah, so worth catching up. Worth catching up with if anyone if anyone likes, it. especially now that Kristen Ritter has got a bigger following. Yeah, That's uh, right. yeah. So yeah, I, I saw as an airport. I saw I saw Clueless in there, and uh, very much in our sort of um, our households, uh, rewatchable movies um, quite quite often. It's just got a lightness of touch and a speed. Enjoyability. I'm saying the same things that everyone else must have said about this movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. That that is supremely rewatchable and enjoyable. And I mean, obviously, you know, usually we would ask about if you've seen other Alicia Silverstone films, but you've seen Vamps, so that puts you Vamps. ahead of like a, a number of other people. <laughs> because most of them, I am. I think I yeah. might be the preeminent uh, internet booster of Blast from the Past as well. <laughs> So uh, the more I talk about it, the more I realise I'm have a I'm have a little infatuation with Alicia Silverstone. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, no, I've I've seen pretty much everything. I'd say. And who would you say your favourite character is in the film? Well, I'll put Cher to the side. Um, yeah, and I I'll put Cher to the side uh, and and go probably with Murray because I, I I can't say I've enjoyed uh, his work elsewhere as much. I was never a huge Scrubs fan. Right, um, but Donald Faison's just supreme commitment in that show, in, in Clueless, is it's a silly role. It's small, but when you got to go big, you got to go big, and he went big, and it worked. Um, <laughs> and and I'm always a big fan when when people go big and it works. So, um, and I think that's true of Clueless entirely. Um, yeah, the whole movie goes big. Um, yeah, and, and trying to make that work um, with. Uh, yeah, so that, he's my favourite, and any any five seconds that Dan Hedaya is on stage, uh, <laughs> on he kills me. I love Dan Hedaya, so um, yeah, that that, yeah. that would be my two. As we basically reach the end of the podcast, what I wanted to do here is, uh, you know, thank everyone who has taken part, and uh, as with each of these minute by minute podcasts, um, it takes roughly forty two people or so <laughs> to make one of these things. Um, the way that I do it, certainly. I'm, I'm sure other minute-by-minute minute podcasts, um, a number of which you can get to by the website um, moviesbyminutes.com, um, they they kind of keep one host and they rotate around the guests. But with me, I like to involve a lot of different people. And also, I like to have weeks where I'm not talking for five episodes a week so I don't have to edit my own voice for five <laughs> episodes. Um, so, you know, there are a number of people who kind of signed up at the very beginning to be hosts, some of whom I spoke to on Minute Zero, uh, others of whom I've spoken to this week, um, and those include Corin McLean, Park Parkinson, Dan Costa, uh, Trevor Gibson, and Amy Pascal. Um, and I wanted to thank the guests who were on my episodes, uh, starting off with episodes one and two uh, with Phil Gonzalez, and then Ashley Challoner, Hannah Van Jura, and then the guys from the uh, Back to the Future Minute, uh, Scott Corelli, Nick Jimenez, and they were kind enough to uh, have me as a guest on Minute 90 of Back to the Future Part 2. Um, there, oh, is no clueless, there is no Clueless 2, unless you count Loser as Clueless 2, or 
or vamps as clueless three. I don't know how you would uh, start numbering things that way. But so you know, there is no sequel to this minute by minute podcast directly, though I'm certain at some point someone will suggest a film that will be fun to cover um, by the minute, and so I'll probably ask people to sign up for that. Uh, further guests we'd like to thank are Sarah Roberts, uh, the wonderful Kip Reed, Jody Doyle, Megan Sunday. Aaron Gambrell and Gina Radcliffe. And, you know, I'd like to thank Ben Sunday, who was also on the pilot episode of I've Made a Huge Mistake, which is my new podcast. Wendy Mays. Uh, Lindsay Busco, Jordan Sam, Jessica DeRoy. Jim Donahue. Uh, Keith Allison uh, and Megan Tripp. Uh, further guests included Jessica Gambling, Diana McMullen, Jackie Parkinson, Larissa Chapman, Jesse Cooper, Owen Chules, Christy Admiral, Catherine Kogut. And I would like to give special thanks to... Um, I don't know, I was going to call them the Hateful Eight, but that doesn't sound right, um, because they're not hateful in any way. They're really, there are eight people who have been on a talking cast and the cast next door and as if. And so I wanted to give special thanks to them for kind of um, not just talking about this film minute by minute, but also, you know, taking part in the other two minute by minute podcasts that I've done up until this point. Um, and I wanted to thank uh, Lan L., um, John Muggleton, Joel Torres, Spencer Seams, Martin Sand, Caroline Fulford, Eric Harzer, and she was on minutes one and two uh, with me and Phil, and then returned for another five minutes um, again with me and Phil um, for minutes uh, 23 to 27, and then took over as a host um, for minutes. The final minutes, really, of the film that had any kind of substance, which was minutes 88 to 92, uh, dealing with, you know, the first and second kiss of Josh and Cher. Uh, <laughs> and that is Shannon Camp, who is also on another podcast that I produce uh, called Stage of Fools, which is currently off the air, um, but will be returning in December. But I just really wanted to thank her for kind of... Out of everybody who's been on this podcast, she is the person who has done the most amount of episodes other than me. Uh, so I wanted to thank her for doing that. Um and bizarrely enough, she is thanked on the episode where I'm talking to the person who has done the least amount of episodes, which is you, Daniel. So thank, thank you very, you very much. much. Thank for, you very much. <laughs> thank you very much for coming on for this final minute and, and helping me out here. Well, congratulations uh, on another Minute by Minute. Um, I enjoy listening to them very much, enjoying being on them. And I think I speak for all 41 when I say thank you so much for editing and hosting and uh, bringing together this community, which we all enjoy very much. Thank you very much, Daniel. Thank you for that. And, of course, uh, Pete and Alex from Star Wars Minute for coming up with this format, which we have now used three times. Um, so that is the end of As If. There has been chatter amongst me and the hosts that maybe we should cover a few episodes of the Clueless TV series. So I'm not going to put a schedule on that particular thing, but um, if you are subscribed to As If, stay subscribed to As If, because... Uh, there may be, I don't know, about 14, 15 bonus episodes that will kind of cover the TV series featuring all the people we've just mentioned, featuring, you know, the return of, of the hosts um, and hopefully a number of the people who have already taken part. So that should be interesting to listen to. I will not promise any date on that, but um, keep your eye out because uh, I, I feel like that is the that's kind of the next immediate thing that that will be coming from this project. Um, other than that I have a new podcast called I've Made a Huge Mistake uh, which is an Arrested Development podcast as this episode goes up um, 
Episode 4 will have gone out yesterday, so if you're a fan of Arrested Development, you know, there is still time to um, catch up with the episodes. Um, I'm attempting to keep them under an hour, but there's so much stuff to discuss in Arrested Development <laughs> that at some point that struggle may overwhelm me and there might just end up being every episode being an hour. But for the moment, they're about mm. 50 minutes, so if you've got 50 minutes twice a week to spare on Mondays and Thursdays, then... Uh, listen to I've made a huge mistake uh, Daniel do you have anything you wish to plug I do not I'm looking forward to uh, being a guest on I've made a huge mistake and uh, and uh, I've, I've already listened to the first couple of episodes well there you go so thanks to everyone for listening and subscribing and uh, you know commenting on Facebook or liking posts on Facebook um, I know there have been a couple of people on the as if Facebook page who um, have a tendency to kind of like every single time I change the picture or like every episode that goes up um so you know putting podcasts out there into the void you never quite know if anyone is ever actually listening to the episodes so it <laughs> always is nice to see people at the very least kind of liking uh, posts or tweeting at me uh, whenever i get around to actually reading twitter um you know so i just wanted to thank everyone for kind of listening and uh, and taking part uh, Otherwise, uh, goodbye.